0: There, beautiful people. And welcome back to another episode of That's How We Roll, a biweekly podcast where I talk with motivating and inspiring women who are professionals, entrepreneurs, organization leaders, artists, and so much more. This week's guest is the multi-talented and the multi-hyphenate Sophia Roma. Sophia is a playwright, screenwriter, and a film and theater director. She is a producing artistic director of Garden of the Avant-Garde Productions, and she's also a member of the New York City Bar Association working in human rights. She was the screenwriter and producer for the international art house film Poor Liza, which won a Garnett Grand Prix Award. The film starred Emmy and Golden Globe Award winner Ben Gazzara and Emmy and Academy Award winner Lee Grant. Sophia has written and directed three films for New York University's Tisch School of the Arts Dramatic Writing Program. Outside of film, Sophia has written 14 different stage plays which have been produced either off-Broadway or off-off-Broadway. Sophia's latest project, which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime, is Used and Borrowed Time. It is a 2020 time travel film about an aging actress who is magically returned to the year 1965 in segregated Alabama. I'm so glad to welcome Sophia Roma. Sophia, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Avis. It's a distinct pleasure.
0: Thank you. Well, first of all, I'd like to say congratulations to you and your production team on this, this film that's on Amazon Prime, Used and Borrowed Time.
1: Thank you ever so much, Avis. Thank you.
0: Good. Can you tell us a little bit about the film and how Used and Borrowed Time came about?
1: Yes, of course. So I am a uh, child of La Mama Experimental Theater, but I was introduced to the late, great Ellen Stewart, or as she allowed me to call her, Mama. For the select few that she did, I had a professor at NYU who quite frequently worked with Ellen Stewart, and his name was Colonel Leslie Lee. He wrote uh, The First Breeze of Summer, for which he was nominated for a Tony and Obie Award, and he won the Obie. A wonderful African-American playwright, and uh, he was my mentor. I worked with him for 25 years in the theater. Uh, We produced three of uh, my plays, and he was the director of them. And uh, he basically, he went uh, to Ellen and told her that I share this notion of what intolerance means because I come from the kind of culture that was also, you know, hounded and persecuted. And I'm an emigre and a refugee. And I, and he suggested that, you know, I, I take a trip out to Alabama just to see what it's like. And I always traveled with my grandmother. So I traveled with my grandmother from New York to Alabama on the Amtrak, and on the Amtrak train, there was this wonderful chef. uh, He prepared uh, collard greens and beautiful, scrumptious, luscious lamb. And we sat there, we got to talking, and he was very personable. He sat down with us, and of course, my grandmother was very old. And he said, uh, I want to tell you a story about my life. And he had grown up in the 60s, and he had a cousin that fell into the hands of a white supremacist family, a horrific, terrible tale. And, and, and what transpired because of the fact that he was in love with a, uh, with a young, she was in, blind, but so she was, you know, impaired in that way, a Jewish girl, and they were taken as hostages. And this was a true story, and it touched me so deeply. But at the time, I was involved in so many different projects. And I decided to to write it, and I wrote it as a short ten minute play uh, on, on a dare at the Players where I belong. It's a club in Gramercy Park for writers and theater uh, practitioners, and they, it was performed. And a gentleman from Estonia came, uh, who was a filmmaker, just by accident, he happened to be, you know, there watching. He was invited to the Players, and uh, he liked it. Said, hey. I'd like to see this as a film, and that's really how it came about.
0: Oh, wow, that's very interesting. I, I did love the trailer, so I can't wait to really sit back and watch it. And it's in two parts, correct?
1: It is. It had to be Avis, because it is three hours and thirty-six minutes. Mm. And and I also ha- it it also could be a mini series, which we have done and and chopped it up into. Into six episodes, just for fun, just in case you know Netflix rolls around or something.
0: Oh well, let's let's go ahead and say Netflix. Okay, (laughs) Netflix, Hulu, here I come. Welcome, Sophia, with open arms.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yes, I hope so. Fingers crossed, or praying to God. Yes, yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, how did you get started in the business? Because you, you know you have this career path you went to law school, you're a mm-hmm. member of the New York City Bar Association. Mm-hmm. And but you're you are such a such a visionary and such a in your multi hyphenate, as I said earlier, and you have all this this background in, in writing and producing and directing. So what was this path? And how did you get started in the business?
1: And you which and which one yeah. did you do first? You taught me a new word. I didn't know multi hyphen <laughs> <laughs> As you said it, wow, you learn something new every day. Uh, how did I get started? Um, so I, I I emigrated from the former Soviet Union as a refugee. So I'm a of Romany and Jewish ancestry from Poland and Ukraine and Romania. And uh, we were basically hounded back in the Back in the day, uh, all my family members, uh, as is typical, uh, pogroms and what have you. And when I came to this country, my mother... uh, Took all the money she had <laughs> and told me to go to the movies with my friend because uh, she couldn't come with me. She was, you know, she was cleaning other people's homes, even though she was a microbiologist back at, at home. And I, and she said, go, oh, you seem to like television. We had a little television set with those antennas back then. Um, no really remote controls and very bad picture. And I went with, with a, a friend when I was about six, seven years old and I watched E.T., And I didn't leave the theater. She had to drag me out, my friend. And I was glued to the chair to the point where she's like, the credits have rolled. Everyone's left. Your mom is going to be worried. And I just, I couldn't get myself away from there. And I knew that I had this love for the allure and sort of the, the lurid Part of uh of what cinema and what celluloid had to offer when I saw those images, those frames, the uh, the human stories, the humanity about cinema, I I fell in love with it with such a passion and such ardor that I uh, that's all I ever wanted to do, and and then there was a traveling troupe, uh, my father had. Uh, had the pleasure. He was in the he was in the arts, and uh, he had uh, gotten together a group of people from all over the globe to perform here in the United States and tour. And I fell in love with theater because these were theater troops, and I got to go behind the scenes. And I was with them all the time. So they lived a very caravan like, a very kind of, you know, not a piece of term, a very gypsy life, I won't say it, but you know, a very kind of Romany life, like my my grandmother on my father's side and who who was an actress. And I just sort of fell in love with that life. I wanted to be a part of this majestic kingdom that I that I thought was, you know, theater. The the only the only closeness that you would receive was from the audience and God. And so I I
0: fell in love with all of that. Wow. Majestic. That's not really what most of us describe as theater, (laughs) especially just when you're just doing some off-Broadway or off-off-Broadway pieces. So that's how you got started. So your father was artistic. Mm -hmm. So that's what you did. And, And how old were you at the time that you decided that when you started writing your pieces, like when you decided, this is what I'm going to do?
1: You know, um, I really was quite young, and this may be the story of most writers or most writers that write for theater, and I spent 25 years glued to the theater with both heart, hands and eyes. Uh, But I uh, I clawed my way into the theater, but my real beginnings were, I think, at the age of about eight when I was in school and uh, sponsored for a refugee program, because in, in that time we did live in a refugee home on the Upper West Side. Uh, with all these eclectic, different people, a uh, very diverse community, and uh, I had had this this notion to put something down on paper about uh, the emigre experience. And uh, my father, who was not allowed out of the former Soviet Union, uh, he came two years later. He, I had asked about my grandmother, and he had said that she was uh, uh, that her three children were shot on a train um, in. From Eastern Poland during World War II when she had lost her first husband. And I thought that I wanted to write stories that had historical context, but always put some folklore in it. And so I sat down to write about her story and I brought it to my teacher and it was about the last exit, about that last train ride where my grandmother had lost most of her family at the hands of the Nazis. She was spared because she had had, uh, hidden in the the, uh, compartment uh, next to the bathroom and they didn't check so that gestapo tale and everything that he, the atrocity that humanity can unleash upon upon other people just simply because they're different propelled me to write and, and my teacher said hmm kind of a rhyme when you write you sort of have a talent she came up to my mother and she said i think your daughter might be into poetry pay attention so that's really how i how i, I came to be but very very young i was
0: wow that's a very interesting story too about your your grandmother. So I, yeah. yeah, I can see how by you being creative that that would be something that a creative tale that you would tell.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, I felt really really compelled. I had this this genuine compulsion to tell it.
0: So that's what you did first. So you did the so you started writing and mm-hmm. so you were in New York. How did the law? You were writing before you went to law school, but what made you decide to go to law
1: school? Right. Right. Um well, So I, I finished, uh, I graduated from Tisch School of the Arts. I always wanted to do film. I had some wonderful professors. We were always under the influence of Marty Scorsese, who came around quite often, showed us his very first film at NYU. And then I had the professor uh, Spike Lee, who just, I hate to use the term, blew my mind, but literally the gentleman is so divinely talented that I have no words. Really, he renders, his films render me speechless. So I, 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 I knew I was in the right place and we were making, you know, at that time we used 16 millimeter, and we used a Steambex to splice film. It's now we're all digital, you know, we're in the digital world. But before that, it was Human Connection and all of the plays that I wrote for La Mama and then later on when I moved to Cherry Lane... And the Lion Theatre down at Theater Row, they were produced either by La Mama or by Negro Ensemble Company, for which I served as literary manager under Charles Weldon, for who was my great great friend, and and directed two of my plays, one at the Lion Theatre, and then one at uh, Cabaret Grey, and then one at Cherry Lane Theatre, which was called The Sweet Word of Advice and the Meyer and i started to de- develop this uh, notion that uh, the world is 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 so biased and there's so much intolerance and i wanted to I knew that I always wrote about emigres. In fact, three of my cycle plays at La Mama were about the uh, emigre experience, as was Cabaret Emigre, although it was a satirical, philosophical work. And I decided that it would be a good fit for me to work in human rights. Uh, I had worked in European countries before where, where the LGBTQ community was C- continuously harassed, especially in the arts and in sports. I wrote a play about the, the constriction of the 2014 Olympics in Sochi uh, down at 13th Street. I tried to expose you know, the victims of this perhaps even often unconscious bias. But nonetheless, a bias and prejudice very strong enough to marginalize people who were already marginalized. And so I said, okay, let me check out programs that dealt with human rights. And I found Fordham University. And that's why I went to law school. I was the oldest student there, actually. (laughs) Yes. So that's how I found my way to, to law.
0: And knowing law or Mm -hmm. learning law is Mm -hmm. is great in this business, too, because there are always contracts and things like that that you have to read in order to especially now that you are because Amazon is not the end for you. So (laughs) as you go forward to to the Mm -hmm. other to the other digital streaming services, (laughs) being a lawyer and knowing Mm -hmm. certain things without being an entertainment lawyer, you still need to know some of the terms. And those contracts are hard to read. So absolutely. at least, th- but they'll be easy for you. It's just like flipping in a magazine to you, I'm, I'm sure. So that helps you a lot.
1: Right. I mean, yes, you're absolutely correct. And Avis, you and I both know, you know, fighting for women's rights in, in, in the right to Be have gender equality in the theater, in film, is always an uphill battle because you belong to such prominent organizations yourself that deal with and center around promoting women, as do I, that it's important to be able to know how to read a contract. It's important to understand that if a man is getting a better salary than you, then you have to speak up. It's important that if it's vital that you speak up if there is harassment in the workplace because you are a female, it's vital. And those organizations... Such as, you know, the League of Professional Women in Theater, where I was on the board and, you know, we have a connection and you being uh, such a grand part of the Women in the Arts and Media Coalition, right? Th- th- those are the very organizations that deal with protecting women, protecting women from from what faces them in the workforce. And I don't think that, especially women of color or minority women, I don't think people know what goes on. And so therefore I think that it's it's important to be able to read your own contract and stand up for yourself or read your fellow's contract, read your girlfriend's contract and help her out. And I've done so much of that. So yes.
0: That's great advice to have someone that, an accountability partner. The other side of that is have someone that can help you get some kind of meaning and understanding out of whatever it is that you have in front of you, because we all need that.
1: Precisely. So well spoken. That's exactly what I meant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right, Mm -hmm. right.
0: And it is important for women to, to, to bring this, along with what you said, just bringing the plight of women and women of color, just bringing this plight to people's to the forefront, because people don't realize until they actually know about something, they they don't realize that it's an issue, and that and that goes with anything,
1: right? Until it's it's overblown, until it, you know the paparazzi have overtaken it, and then there's somehow it's watered down and diminished from the actual, the actual decrepitness of this issue, right. how it torments people and how it torments women in the industry.
0: Yeah, very true. What motivates you? And what keeps you motivated? We're just coming into like our actual, a real summer, because we didn't mm-hmm. have that last year where we could be around people, be present with people. What motivates you and what keeps you motivated?
1: Um, I, I, I really would have to say human stories. You know, though it sounds perhaps banal or maybe it's definitely not contrived. People that I hear talking places and cafes when cafes were open. And now, like you said, they're opening up. And I heard that in your last podcast, which was wonderful, all about rebirth and, you know, the and reemergence of uh, going back to our our former normal, which should be our new normal Mm -hmm. now, right? Going back to humanity. I'm inspired by what I read. If I read a New York Times article, or if I read uh, something that's going on globally, or if I have a case in court that deals with somebody desperately running from persecution, harassment in their own country, or being limited to not being able to to marry the same sex or religious persecution, or just those stories move me because they're not only worth telling, and it's not about being political or bipartisan, it's humanity trying to carve a slice of life for themselves. And I think that those stories inspire me, but also folklore and legend. And those are inspirational stories. You know, the cosmos is vast. And I recently wrote a piece uh, called The Virus Corazon, and I think we, we did a Zoom uh, kind of play <laughs> about it. And I only wrote the first act, but it was about people that had suffered through a, a similar virus but it was like a love virus, <laughs> not the, not the virus that unfortunately we were having a pandemic. You're right. Um, but, um, but it, it, and everybody ended up in, it, back in, in a space kind of situation. And as they were floating up to outer space uh, and they were putting colonies because they were forbidden to love, the emotion of love would cause them to outbreak in a virus and that they were living in colonies, but they still found love. And it's, it's a, it's a Sartre kind of concept, because uh, I was very inspired by the uh, by the story Sartre Le Jeux Sans fait, which is the dais cast, where no matter what you do, it's sort of predestined. So you can try to fight against life, but you're going to end up in a similar space. I was inspired by that story to live out the reverse. So let's not end up in that space. Let's mm. change. Let's change the world. Let's really not just say to make it better, but work inch by inch, fabric by fabric, to sew a beautiful conglomerate world. Wh- one where we have this understanding of people that we all, we all need similar similar uh, things love you know compassion tolerance understanding that's what inspires me most nice <laughs> it's true it's really true you bring out the truth in me in <laughs> because i, I have a, an affinity i think you feel very similar um, you know i think you feel similarly to me right about that so,
0: i do i do right. <laughs> yes Do you have anything coming up aside from the Amazon Prime? Anything, Mm -hmm. any other pieces or anything that, because now that the world is opening up, so Mm -hmm. are, you know, so are stages, so are small places that can have Mm -hmm. these events that were on Zoom for the past year and a half. Now they are opening up and we can actually be present. So do you have anything coming up that you can actually Mm -hmm. talk about? Because I know so many times we are not able to mention projects that we're working on for confidentiality reasons, but anything that you can talk about about or something that you're writing or something that you're working on that you can share?
1: Yes. um, So I am working on a commission project and it is about, it is a, it is the reaction to, I will say to Lolita by Nabokov, but from, by Vladimir Nabokov, uh, from a female point of view. And, and uh, I hope to finish it. By the end of the summer, and hopefully we'll be able to shoot by October, November. Um, and it's an important stance. With uh, uh, you know, my former film was really uh, again, uh, it was a it was a call to tell people, hey, look, anti-Semitism is on the rise globally. People are desecrating synagogues, and desecrating the religion, and also the African American community is suffering desperately, especially under COVID nineteen. I led the project that there was such disparity among how how the healthcare system had affected the COVID-19 crisis in minority populations, especially African American and Hispanic population. I was spearheading that project for the New York City Bar Association. These days, I just want to concentrate on the Me Too movement and project what what happens when men uh, solipsize very young ladies. And that's my project. And I think and hopefully, it will bear some meaning to people that have been harassed, that have been violated in a very, very bad way.
0: Oh wow, you're going to be very busy, and and I uh, I'm so glad. I mean, that's such a great undertaking that you're that you're doing with the you know you. B- being a lawyer. I, I love that. So thank you. You know, and just FYI. I'm going to include everything that Sophia is talking about, all her links to her projects, and any events that she is having. It's got everything is going to be in the show notes, so no one misses anything that you're doing because it's (sighs) going to just be fabulous from here on out.
1: Thank you, Ava. Thank you so much.
0: What advice Mm -hmm. can you offer, Mm -hmm. or can you give to Mm -hmm. like to upcoming writers and multi hyphenates like yourself?
1: Well, you know, I would say and Life is not a tuna and white bean salad. Um, life, is, life is very complicated. It, and if you, But if you, if you really aspire to write or to act or to dance or to go into space, uh, explore, become a scientist, whatever, from wherever you are, from whatever walk of life whether you're an emigre or refugee like me or whether you're, you know, not of the color that everybody else, you you know, is or whether you have any kind of handicap, I think that it's important to realize your dream. If a professor tells you you're not good, if a fellow neighbor tells you you're strange, um, if there's a kid in school that makes fun of you, which is really my story, just if you could really rise above that, because I think People are so worthwhile. It's such a worthwhile investment in humanity. Every single soul is an individual being with something to say, something to portray, whether it's in baking a cake for somebody's birthday, or whether it's sewing a dress, or whether it's making a film. So just really adhere to your aspiration, because it might take 50 years, it might take after your lifetime, but it will, it will take. If you're persistent, perseverance is everything. If you believe, if you have faith in yourself, there is no end to what you can achieve. I know that for sure.
0: Yeah, that's very true to just to just keep going no matter what. Yes. And most of the world, a lot of us that made it through 2020, mm-hmm. we've done just that. We've reinvented ourselves. Yes. We have changed directions, not forgetting about any direction or any path that we decided to veer from, but just mm-hmm. broaden a lot of things that, that make uh, that will make us better Absolutely. and that will make us better for others as well.
1: Absolutely. You could definitely see the humanity even through this crisis, the mm-hmm. way that people came together, the way that bells were rung every time at seven o'clock for those lives lost in Manhattan, and the way hospitals worked and healthcare workers worked, and actually the way liquor stores worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they cater to your needs, and there's a fabric of beautiful worthwhile rhythm to, to human life. And it needs to be harnessed and, and, fortified and protected.
0: And I hope that we don't lose that, the coming together and that helping each other during Absolutely. the heart, one of the hardest things that we've gone through, you know, yeah. in the world. I'm hoping Absolutely. that we don't lose that.
1: I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think less blame and more positivity you know, less less trying to blame each other, pointing fingers, and more coming together and working on something that happens for all of us, something that uplifts all all of us at once.
0: Mm. Do you have any words of wisdom that mm. you could leave with us today?
1: Words of wisdom. You know, it was a very, very difficult year, I'm sure for everybody. And uh, we crawled out of it like uh, snails, but the light of the tunnel, you know, the, the old biblical saying, this too shall pass. There's truth to that. There's uh, the, the igniting of a, a bonfire in, in your soul with the prospect that the future holds some sort of kernel of hope. And I think that was also uh, what you had mentioned in your last podcast. Hope is everything. And, and hope really does die last. I mean, I had a play by that title at La Mama, but it was the first work I'd ever done in 1997. Gosh, I'm so old. But, um, you know, who, who counts the chronological years? I think that if uh, the words of wisdom would be that, please, please don't give up hope. Uh, you know, the, the day that you hear the birds singing, the day that you go out and see the blue sky. Um, and you see the horizon, and you see the tequila sunset, you understand there's hope in life, and that's everything. So keep to your dreams and and keep striving. I think those are my words of wisdom.
0: Well, they're beautiful words. Thank
1: you. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Well, Sophia, I just want to thank you so much for being here with me today, and thank you for sharing your words of wisdom, and thank you for sharing your craft to to all of us, to the people that get to—and on Amazon Prime, you know, check it out. Thank you so much for sharing your gift, because what you bring and what you are and what you direct and, and write and produce— they're all gifts. They're coming from you. And thank you for the heart that you put into each and every project that, that you put out. And I really appreciate you being here and sharing that with us.
1: Oh, Avis, thank you so much for having me. You know, the crystal clarity of your voice, your beautiful soul shines through. And I, I, would, I would have to say, I would implore everybody to listen to your podcast. You are so very uplifting. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure, such an honor. <laughs>
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And you're very welcome. So Mm -hmm. everyone, please like, subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, checking out the podcast. Thank you for inviting me into your space. And until next time, I hope you will continue to thrive, grow, and be kind to yourselves and be kind to others.